0: I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. Do you ever have something go wrong in your business and learn a lesson and think, damn, I wish I knew that before? I absolutely know this feeling. I have been there many, many times. And that's why in this episode, I'm gonna share with you all of my best advice on owning a salon based off my own experience. From buying my salon at 19 years old to uh, with just me and one other team member to 20 years later, having grown a team of 30. Now, trust me, I made all of the mistakes under the sun and now I'm sharing my journey with you so things can be different for you. Now, in this episode, the crew from Muck Haircare Global interview me live where I was the guest rather than the host for once and Muck's Global Artistic Director Clive Allwright and Global Technical and Education Manager Judy Seeley ask me all the juicy questions that I'm sure you're dying to know and much much more. So let's dive in, meet the Muck crew, enjoy this episode.
1: Certainly great to have you. As I mentioned before you've, uh, you've certainly changed the you know mine and Kelly's um, outlook on our business and, and which will come to as we go through the, uh, the session we've been working together for quite some time and, and it's definitely paid dividends for us and so I really wanted to share that within the Muck family especially with what's going on in you know in Victoria and certain parts even the UK right now you know I think some of the information that you've helped us with will be just so valuable to to our viewers and, and listeners. So what we usually do is get to start off with a little backstory about you know who you are and you know what you do and um, and your hairdressing. How did you get involved in coaching and hairdressing? So over to you.
0: All right well uh, I'll try and keep a long story short. Uh, well I'm a qualified hairdresser and six months out of my apprenticeship I couldn't really find the right salon to go to next I'd outgrow in the space And my little naive self at 20 thought, ah, I'll just open my own. (laughs) And uh, within six weeks of that idea, I was open. And it was a crazy ride. It was probably good that uh, I just sort of took such massive action uh, without really knowing what I was getting myself into. Because if I knew, I actually probably wouldn't have done it. So uh, I started with me and one other in uh, in a suburban uh, salon in Wellington here in New Zealand. And uh, I owned that salon for 20 years, and we grew from two, and we had a couple of location changes. I had two salons for a, for a short time, and uh, I hit 40. The business hit 20, and uh, I kind of maybe it was a mini life crisis, maybe, <laughs> but I decided like maybe the next 20 years was going to be different to the previous 20 years. I had a team of 30, we were a big operation, and uh, I think I'd i just I'd done all the things I was starting to look for opportunities being a sort of creative entrepreneur I started fixing things that probably didn't need to be fixed it was a good time to uh, either duplicate or exit uh, stage left so uh, I was quite involved in product in uh, tech development at that time for the industry and that took me down a another whole road of working for software companies. I've worked for three industry salon software companies over the last few years. And during that time, actually, um, it was when I really realized that, oh, there were so many salon owners that just needed help and had been in the same painful places that I had been. Like owning a business is hard. It's hard on the heart, it's hard on the soul, it's hard on the feet. Um, and I saw so many people in pain. I was like, okay, I actually, I think I know how to help these people. And that's when the coaching kind of started. And uh, I launched Salon Owners Collective four and a half years ago. Awesome. And so it's been a good journey.
1: No, it's fantastic. It's a great story. I just picked up on that, that 20 years, isn't it funny how fast time flies, right? When you're doing something. I just happened to hear earlier on today, it's 20 years ago today that the opening of the Sydney Olympics happened tonight. And I was like, oh my God, I was 30 when that opened. and. <laughs> In the year, I'm going to be seventy. Oh <laughs> my! It just goes too fast. But um, but yeah, no, it's a it's a, it's a great story. I can't wait to get into this conversation. Jude, you excited?
2: I'm so excited. Um, I just can't wait to um, to unpack some of that. Um, so Larissa, on your mission statement with your uh, Salon Owners Collective website is all about, uh, you know, r- helping salon owners with the stress and the long hours and the overwhelmingness of being a salon owner, as you mentioned, and, and we've all been there and, and understand that um, to a life of uh, freedom and profit. Um, it, that sounds like the absolute ultimate as far as being a seller owner goes. So how, how, how do, do most selling owners struggle to get that right in your experience? Yeah, look, I struggle to get that
0: right. I think, you know, as a society from previous generations, we've really been taught uh, success equals working hard, mm-hmm. uh, hard hours, hard yakka. And I think to the point where we actually um, make things more complicated for ourselves because we have this sort of embed belief that um, hard, complicated is the way to do it. And it's how our parents grew up and it's how their parents grew up. And society sort of tells us otherwise that if we're cruising along and having a nice time, too much of a nice time, we're doing it wrong. Or we shouldn't be wealthy and have time. We need to either be have lots of time and no money or lots of money and no time. And I kind of think right from... Uh, early on in business, I thought, that's crazy. Surely we can have both. Surely I don't have to be a crazy maniac, stressed out person um, to live the lifestyle that I want and have the money lifestyle that I want. And so that was always sort of the the dream is to be able to have a little bit of both. And it was always the driving force. And so when I sold my salon, I worked in and on that business 15 hours of the week. I'd started another business, mind you, just to kind of keep up with the creating complication in my life um but i thought well if i can do it other people can do it and i and when i was working uh, with software and i was working with the industry i just saw so many people working 40 hours on the floor and then they would come home and stay up late at night to do the wages or the social posts or the complications with team members that was happening at 10 11 o'clock at night and these are people that have children i'm like this no this is This is not how the industry should be. We shouldn't be that miserable and stressed out. I certainly had my fair share of years feeling exactly like that. And it's almost like uh, it's a trend that that I even still have to help or force myself to not go back into that space. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a a workaholic syndrome almost, and I have to be quite mindful and intentional to hold on to freedom and profit and keep the two together. So I think... um, It's 100% doable. And for 80% of my life, I feel like I live there. I have to manage the other 20%. Um, So I think it's achievable, but it just means flipping a few beliefs actually, I think, do you know? And letting go of a few, uh, uh, some guilt. I think that uh, our parents, um, Mm. our friends, society, uh, even our team throw at us unbeknownst to them that what do you mean you can go and sit on the beach for half an afternoon and, and enjoy yourself? Surely not. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I
2: agree, and I think it's something that Eddie, timely is um we need to be reminded of um you know because we do slip back into it. Uh, there was a book that I read um after having had a, a period of time of working incredibly hard and doing the the crazy hours um, that you were referring to. And it was called um, the way we're working isn't working by Tony Schwartz, who also runs the energy project. And it just resonated so much with me because I was totally in that, you know, you've got to work really hard. Um, And that, that had a huge impact on, and, and as you say, like, you know, I'm probably at a time where I need to be, you know, have a little reminder and a little reset because we, you know, we, we need to a bit of a reset every now and then, but I, uh, it's fantastic. I think that the message of, you know, freedom and profit as a business owner is just such a great message to be, to be giving people, it's like you're giving them permission that that's okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, freedom means different things to everybody, and it doesn't always mean sitting on the bench with a cocktail, um, because I do also believe in smart work. I refrain from hard work like smart work, like you've got to muck in sometimes and you've got to, excuse the pun, um, you've got to muck in sometimes and do the work, like, you know, do the stuff that needs to be done, but we need to do it with a little bit more intention and a little bit more foresight uh, and question ourselves, why are we doing it like this? And is there a better way that we can do this more strategically or more cleverly um, that actually saves everybody, including our team? Like our team don't actually have to work like crazy horses either to oh. work smarter. Um, and so I think it's a good mantra. It's become my sort of lifelong mantra to, to have freedom and profit, whether that's freedom of time, freedom of um, mindset, uh, freedom of overwhelm and stress. It can mean lots of things for lots of different people. So.
1: It's so interesting just taking me back to when Kelly and I first opened the doors, it was just the two of us. And I think this is one of the things that happens to most people that own a business when they open a salon, we worked around the clock. We did every, did all the hours that, you know, we shouldn't have been doing. You know, we worked, we were taking clients at five, six, seven days a week. And we got in this pattern of, of just working hard, working hard. And just, you know, we've got to do the numbers. We've got to do the numbers. And that's how that 20-year thing just goes past. Like, you know, we've been in business 10 years now and and we've broken that cycle. Um, But that wasn't something we learned. I mean, sorry, it wasn't something that came natural to us. We had to be taught how to do that. What's the biggest mistake you see people make when they go into business? Like, I I just heard of a situation only this morning of a salon that's just lost four of its top stylists. they have obviously due to COVID, rents are cheap. They're going down the road, and I just, I, I just thought, oh, poor things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's yeah. the biggest mistake people make? You know.
0: Well, it's a good question, Clive, because I think actually the biggest, the first biggest mistake is that. We arrive in our business and we fill ourselves with clients and we make the business revolve around us because we become the commodity that we're selling because our skill is good and our people skills are good. It's kind of like the mindset that got us to own the business in the first place is what makes us popular in, in terms of uh, being a stylist. Um, and we somehow forget as we open the business that uh, we've now just bought ourselves a second job. We have the stylist job and we've got now the business owner job and we keep doing the stylist job for 40 hours of the week and we forget we're running a business for a little while. And it sounds kind of silly and like, what do you mean we forget? But actually the business itself is an, is an entity in itself. It's like a whole clientele of its own. It needs to be looked after. It's, it's a beast that needs to be fed. Um, and if we build the business model all around ourselves, then what happens when people walk away Uh, from the business is that we're back left holding all of the pieces and holding propping the whole thing up so we want to be mindful that when we're building a business we're building a brand that is separate to ourselves it can feel like our baby and we can own it but it's its own entity it can't be us it can't be revolved around us and we can't treat it like like and it's an extension like it's our arm like it's an extension of us uh, which we do because we're so close to it and we can make it our own but we really need to build a brand that is separate to us and that we can love and nurture, but it's, yeah. So it's stronger than us, and it's stronger than the team that we employ as well, because it needs to be able to survive people coming and going. Because the one thing is true is that you'll be the last man standing, you know? Like, when everybody leaps, people will come into your life, and they will come out of, go out of your life, um, and there'll be a very small percentage that will stay for the long haul. So it needs to be able to survive that. Did that make sense? Yeah,
1: 100%. Yeah, totally,
2: Yeah. And um, so, speaking of, of of that, and about um, how you have, I think as hairdressers, we do actually learn to work really hard, and that becomes such a habit for us. So I think hairdressers are some of the some of the hardest working people that you'll ever meet, and I think that um, you know just in your own. Um, you know, on your website, seeing that you, you know, you had your first baby in 2006 and then, you know, just coming back to work half day of the week and then, um, you know, an, a second baby and um, then not sort of being full-time on the floor again, um, but your business has got has gone on to be, you know, more successful than ever. So, you know, that that for for a lot of us that's very contradictory to, to what we the way we work. So so tell us about how you manage that. Like how did how did you do that? And because that's such a such a great lesson again, you know, for, for those of us, you know, working mums, um, how we manage the baby that is, you know, the, the real babies, our real babies as well as our other baby, which is our business baby. You know, how, how do you manage that and make your business baby as successful, even more successful in that? Well, I think uh,
0: uh, it was a step-by-step process. And I can truly say that every time I took a day off the floor, I would take, I would remove myself half a day at a time. In terms of going from five days down to half, down to zero. And every, day I t- every time I took a chunk of time off uh, serving clients individually, I would reinvest that time in actually serving my team. So I replaced my client clients, and my clients now became my team. My team were my clients, and that was my job. It was to grow and serve them. And so I wasn't uh, full-time off the business, but I was full-time off the floor. Uh, except for once I had babies, then I was much more non-present, but I'll talk about that in a second. So it was a replacing of my time in a one-on-one environment to a one-on-five or a one-on-ten or a one-on-fifteen, and we got quite big. So, um, yeah, I would redistribute that time into what I call IGA, income-generating activity, and that was my sole purpose. And so um, your team are the income generators now rather than you because in one hour if i can do a client in one hour i can earn a hundred dollars maybe 200 or even 300 if i'm uh charging really high prices but i'm capped but if i can spend that what that same one hour with five of my team or even 10 of my team if i do it in the right way then each of them can earn 100 200 or five or 300 per hour i've now leveraged that so i've turned that one hour now into five hours or to 10 hours or 15 hours depending on the size of your team and I think when you look at, look at it that way, it's like, oh, I can't afford to be on the floor cutting, cutting clients. <laughs> I'm cutting myself short here. I'm putting a ceiling, like a really low ceiling on my capabilities. Mm-hmm. So I think <clears throat> it's just a different way of looking at business, getting out of the weeds and getting uh, away. And I think what really helped uh, in preparation for starting a family, and once I did, as I was physically not present, uh, as much as I used to be and so I could be a lot more objective not being in the weeds and in the drama and the detail I could just make much more data-driven decisions and much more sort of uh, decisions from a step back and give good guidance to my management team who would then go and do the implementation and that distance between me and the front line with a management team being really objective that worked because Mm -hmm. I could say, I just need you to do it like this, and and they weren't as emotionally attached to it, and they would just go and do, because it was their role to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's how we grew exponentially. The more that I stepped back, actually the bigger we got. Hey, I just wanted to pop in to tell you something. Don't worry, we're gonna get back to this awesome episode in just a second. Now, if this sounds like you, listen up. You have a team, you love your team, but you're sick of wondering why and wishing your team would make their sales targets. You want them to be smashing sales because it shows that they're actually looking after their clients really well. Like imagine if you could have a way to make more from the clients that you already have, increase sales without spending more on advertising. Well, it's totally possible and I want to help you. And I want to help you do it with ease, in a classy way. No hard and dirty sales tricks here ways to serve your clients and make more because everybody wins the team the client and of course you the business owner now if you want to find out more just dm me uh, and let's chat i'll make a plan for you i'm also going to leave a link for you on the show notes of this episode all right let's get back to the episode
1: yeah it's 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 crazy even with our own uh uh, example with Kelly. I mean, she's three thousand miles away in, in a different city, you know, and she's just so connected with, obviously, especially in 2020. We haven't seen her physically since March, and she's very much in the the day to day running of the business, and um, you know, with our with Natalie, our manager, and you know, we've really changed the way that we have done business during this 2020. And I, and I mentioned this, I think, in our meeting last week if there's ever a time to change something is this year have you noticed a trend with salon owners sort of certainly with with shutdowns and all the and lock, lockdowns and all those things have you noticed a trend in business owners just going right we're going to have a complete clean sweep
0: 100 percent. i think the first the first awesome thing has been this the grace of time people have had this time to be locked in their homes and be distant and and have some thinking space, do you know, like I know here in Wellington, we were in lockdown for seven weeks, level four lockdown, that means you hardly drive your car, you just go to the supermarket. And so people are walking on the streets. It was so lovely. But do you know how much thinking you can do when you walk daily for hours on end? Um, you can really think about things. And I think people had the opportunity to come down off the off the adrenaline rush of running a business, which is just like being in a mouse wheel. And, you you know, you're up all the time and you get to sort of come down and be calm. I actually think we should have lockdown once a year. I think that would be really good for everybody. <laughs> all okay. do it at the same time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> A global lockdown,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but, so first of all was the thinking. And the second of all was the social distancing. When people came back or when they were open, you still have to be socially distanced so we could have less people in the salon at a time and what I discovered is that when people had more time because you couldn't have clients in between the business model was forced to change but what happened is people had more time to give to their clients and as a result their average spend went up because they had time to spend with them and nurture them and talk to them about what they wanted what they needed and what really they should have rather than what they were just booked in for people were less stylists were less uh, pressured or uh, by the clock because I've got somebody coming in five minutes I've got to do this consultation fast um, and spending went up and what I've noticed actually over the la- over the last uh, four and a half years um, we track key performance indicators numbers very very carefully when we're working with salons and I did some research and what I discovered is that the salons that had a higher or increasingly high, growing average client spend also had higher client retention. And I thought that's really interesting. Mm. So when you actually spend the time with the person to, to talk with them about what they really want, what they really need, where are they going in the future and actually peppering in future appointments, which is future proofing, um, clients actually feel connected. They actually feel like they've been listened to and they actually spend more because they can, actually can see what's possible for them to have. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, observation and uh, quite a few of the sellers that we work with directly have chosen to keep that model and not do the sort of back-to-back booking and have a little bit more one-on-one time uh, with each individual client so it certainly has changed the way that people do business
1: quite a lot in the previous um, Mm -hmm. interviews we've done it's almost like a return to the to the service the service the consultation has come up over and over again, you know, and the yeah. professionalism's gone up. And when you increase professionalism, when you increase the time you spend with people, yeah. you increase the money. That that's, I think that's definitely one of the positives we can take away from this yeah. whole thing.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. So one of the greatest challenges for the industry that we that we all face, and Clive just mentioned um, about a scenario where you know, a, a, a salon's lost, you know, a whole lot of their team. Um, finding staff is, is a huge challenge for the industry as a whole. So how, how do you kind of, what's your recommendation about going about, you know, building the rock star and, and And obviously, as you said, you know, you're always going to be the last person standing as the owner of the business. But how do you, what's your advice for finding the right team?
0: Yeah, I, yeah, you want to be the last man standing, not the, one, not the last man standing necessarily holding the scissors, right? Yeah. Um, I think it is one of those strategic pieces inside of your business that you need to create a system and, and a process that works and so you've got it on the ready to go at any time because, you know, you're likely to need to do it two or three times a year or more depending on the size of your business. And I think the first mistake that I uh, see often is, well, there's two things. One is... Well, actually, it's one that stems from the other. So the the first one actually is visibility. Um, You can't sell a secret. And so I think often we make the mistake of posting socially, for example, once, hey, we're looking for someone and then we're uh, locked in by fear to ever tell people again that we're looking for someone in case people judge us and go, what, you haven't found anybody yet? Are you not good enough? It's actually the talk that goes on in our heads, right? I can't post it again. They'll think that I haven't filled the position and that I'm desperate for staff. There's only a reflection from how we're feeling ourselves. Actually, I think you can flip it. We're growing. We need more people and celebrate the fact that you're bringing new people into your business. And I say that because posting a job advertisement once is not enough. First of all, hardly anybody sees any given one post on, on a given day. You know, it might have a lot of reach, but people actually don't tune into that. You need to be visible for a long period of time. And we want people talking about it and sharing it. And because you're likely, you know, the chances are one of your clients could know somebody who's a hairdresser whose mother's daughter's brother is looking for a job. (laughs) They need to know, you can't sell a secret. So I think visibility is the first thing. Share it all the time, like on a weekly basis. Make sure it's on your website, make sure it's easy for people to apply with you. it's super simple to confidentially get a hold of you and find out more about the role. I think the other thing too is that often I see salons still quite fearful of showing themselves. Like do um, you know you post lots of before and after pictures or just or backs of heads, and we don't actually see inside of the business to see, well, who is this team? Who are these people? Who is the owner? What is she about? And for a prospective stylist who wants to come to uh, wants to look for somewhere new they want to know what's inside those closed doors to even see if you're their tribe, they want to see that picture and say oh yeah they look like they look like they have fun or they look a bit like me I th- I could see myself there I can see myself fitting in there because uh, people won't come and look behind the curtain if they don't know what's going to be behind there because they think once they're in they can't oh, they'll have to make excuses to get out and so they won't they won't even apply so I think You've got to be visible. It's a good social media strategy anyway, because clients think the same. Clients want to see who are these people, who am I going to be stuck with in the chair for two hours? you know, I'm going to be stuck talking to, God, am I going to have to talk to someone who's going to talk about a cat all day? I'm not into cats, (laughs) whatever it is. Stylists think exactly the same. So you want to be visible and, and ultimately people do business with people that they know, like and trust. So let them know you, get them to understand who you are and a little bit about you personally. Um, and then ask them if they want to come and have a job so I think I think the last thing is language actually I think um, especially if we've been disappointed with team members in the past we can come across quite uh, abrupt in our language you must be qualified you must be prepared and there's all these demands it's like imagine going to the pub and you're meeting a guy on a Friday night or a girl or whoever and you say hey I'd really love to buy you a drink but you must want to have 4.5 children and you must want to live in Melbourne and you must and you must and you've got all these rules. It's like, hey, I just, just wanted to have a drink. <laughs> so I think we've got to flip the language and say, but you know, if you are looking to grow your business, like be really proactive. If you're looking for your next opportunity and you want to grow your business, uh, grow yourself, um, then come and talk to us. Make it appealing because at that very moment when she's scrolling, looking for a job, she's thinking about herself. She's not thinking about you. And so you want to make your whole ad around what she wants, the career that she wants, the future that she wants, the work environment that she wants. You can tell her your rules later after the interview. But the first goal is just get the girl to call you.
2: Yeah, great. I, I so I love that advice. And um, someone who we'll be talking to in an upcoming episode actually does that. Unbelievably well, and um, and it really does have an impact on um, on team members joining them. And they, um, this is a friend of mine, uh, Adrian from um, Delilah in Melbourne. Um, and um, he, he's, this is a conversation that we'll be having with him as well because he does have this really great social media. You, 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 you feel like you're part of the salon. Um, you want to join the team. And, um, and he's just had new team members join him. And for exactly that reason, they want to be part of what, what's going on. I want to be part of that. You want to be part of something that's going somewhere. You want to be, you want to be able to
0: see your future in, in that business. And usually when people apply for a job with you, they've been stalking you for a while. They don't usually make a snap decision. They've never seen you before and suddenly I want to apply for a job with you. It just doesn't work that way. Usually, do you know, that's the world we're in now. We socially stalk for a while. We follow for a while. We get the vibe. And then if it feels like us, then we reach out.
1: My head's still in the pub thinking about the (laughs) Actually when you was when you were saying that I just have two very close friends of mine that I know have just been exactly through that scenario. At the Um, pub. (laughs) Oh yeah. one of them was told recently that you know, this you know. By the way, I'm we I'm going to have children, and if you're not part of that plan, you need to leave. <laughs> and I actually responded to my mate and said, I think that's really commendable. I think she knows what she wants, and um, you need to either listen to that. That's a, that's a yeah, good sign. Yeah, line, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just went off on a tangent. Yeah, that seems to be. <laughs> yeah, friends at home. yeah, that's awesome. Um, talking of rules and, and regulations and stuff we are we, we are trained as hairdressers in you know all these different aspects we're trained to cut we're trying to consult we're trying to color um but we we're ne- very well in my generation i know it's different now but in my generation the business side was just something the boss did and we just were creative and one of the biggest learning curves kelly and i have had is is when we engage in your services is being very transparent with our team on the numbers and it's really important for all of our stylists and all and our manager and you know the people that work within the business to be to be mindful of the numbers um, how how much important I mean I know how much it is for me but let's just share with our viewers how important is that information to be shared
0: well I think it's a little bit like um... Do you know if you're a professional team trying to achieve success whatever that looks like um it would be like the all blacks playing a game you know against australia and there was no scorecard there was no, no you know no one was counting the goals and nobody knew who won at the end mm-hmm. like we just wouldn't it wouldn't be exciting to watch it would completely change the whole game and so i think team your team need to uh know the score and know what a good job looks like, and then know how the, how well they're doing against that. I think one of the things that I learned is that you know, winning team members, successful team members, the type of team that we want to attract, uh, they actually want to work in a winning business, a business that is winning. No one wants to be on the losing team, you know. Um, we want to be in the winning team. And so, how do we track whether or not we're winning? Well, it's it's the it's the numbers. It tells us that we've either done done the goal or we haven't done the goal. And I think uh, particularly in the hair industry, less so in the beauty industry, funnily enough, but particularly in the hair industry, we forget that we're salespeople. And I think that's because we see ourselves first and foremost often as creatives. And we're creating this piece of artwork, which is great. But unless you learn the sales skills, you're going to run out of people to create your artwork on. And so um, we need to have that mindset of uh, we're actually here to sell stuff, not necessarily just to sell stuff to get the money. The goal is not to get the money, the, the money is actually just the scorecard. And I think we can be fearful of money and selling and coming across as salespeople rather than just doing great hair. But unfortunately, or we're not unfortunately, but fortunately, money does make the world go round. Not because we're greedy money people, but it's actually just a transaction. And it just measures a transaction of value You do this for me and I'll give you that. Once upon a time, it was like, um, you milk my cow and I'll give you some grass. You know, this is a transaction. Uh, But grass and cows are hard to carry around. So we created this thing called money that we could put in our pocket. And so it's like, you do this for me, cut your hair, and you give me some money, which I'll then go and take to buy some food. And so I think we all get caught up in, I don't know, I don't know where it came from. It'd be an interesting study. When did we start to think that, you know, filthy rich people were filthy because they're rich? Do you know um but this is the mindset my son came home from school one day and, and told me that um <laughs> that rich people were dirty and I thought what where's this come from He said, because they're filthy rich I was like oh bless yeah. him <laughs> but he learned this from he learned this not in the school classroom but like just from the playground and I thought hang on a minute rich people aren't dirty or filthy or bad or greedy or all of those things they've just worked out how to give more value to more people so they've just got managed to get more money back and I think if we can flip the mindset then we can feel good about all the amazing things that we can serve our clients with we can give them the things that they really want and they need And if we took away this kind of feeling of feeling bad about money, we would just measure the money as the, as the transactional value. And then that value would just tell us that we've done a good job. We've, the more money that we have, you know, if, you, if, the, if the goalpost was, every time you get to $1,000, you know that you have kept 10 people happy. Actually, that's not good maths. Two people happy. <laughs> Whatever it is, if we put money measured happiness, then we'd feel good about it. So you need to know the numbers so you can measure success.
1: I think that's yeah. one of the biggest learning curves as owning, being a business owner with having staff is, is that we don't actually pay them. The clients pay them, pay, you know what I mean? We're just the middlemen, you know, and um, it's, um, you know, if you want to earn more, it comes, only, we don't have this amazing big endless bank account that we pay you with. It, it, it actually comes from the services that we provide to the people and with, and they're happy about that, you know? So yeah. that's, it, it's, it's, um, It's a it's a big learning curve for for all involved.
0: I think too, the other thing is, you know, it's our duty as a business owner to have a profitable business because if you're profitable, you're sustainable. It means that you can be you've got a you've got a responsibility to clients that you're here next week and that you're open, the doors are open to serve them. For your team next week, that your doors are open next week so they can come and get their paycheck. You know, you're responsible to the landlord that you can pay his rent. So we're responsible to those people to be profitable and also to our family mm-hmm. to make sure that we bring money home and actually feed our children, put clothes on their back. So I think it's our responsibility to be profitable. And if we're not, we're letting a lot of people down, primarily ourselves. So it's just a different way of looking at, at the money maths, I think.
1: And I think 2020 has made that very evident for everybody. You know, what I mean, never before have we had a time, like you look at people in New York or wherever, London, Sydney, Melbourne, you, if you haven't got any money in the bank, it's been a real tough year,
0: you know? Yeah, yeah, and I've, I actually think it's broken down a few walls actually for owners to talk about this with their team and actually be transparent and say it's actually my responsibility to have a lump of cash in the bank. I'm not gonna feel bad about it or guilty about it or that I even have access to it. Uh, I need to have this lump of cash in the bank because just in case actually, and I have a responsibility to you, um, that if anything goes wrong, like COVID, that actually I can still pay you and I can keep you. I can keep you. And a lot of people are doing that because not everybody uh, uh, qualifies for JobKeeper. I know a lot of salon owners who are paying out of their own cash to keep jobs for people. Uh, And we're very lucky to have the likes of JobKeeper. Um, So I do think it's our responsibility to be responsible first and then uh, take the dividends after
2: yeah that's so great um i'd wanted to get your perspective larissa on uh something that's happened also it, you know it's, it was there prior to covid but definitely something that has um you know had a real fast forward sort of shift in covid and that is the concept of home coloring you know clients doing their hair at home obviously there's been Um, people doing their hair at home themselves that never would have done their hair previously Um, we've got these color kits that are customized color kits that are being sold online and really targeting salon clients with almost like a customized consultation and your customized formula that then gets packaged up and sent to your house in a little kit Uh, so these these things are not new this year but but I think we've def- they've definitely sort of fast tracked, and I just wonder about the the long term impact they will have. You know, where clients have been taught to do their own hair at home, and um, what that's going to look like for salons and salon owners, and perhaps just some ideas about what salon owners can do to make sure that you know what we're doing in the salon is giving above and beyond you know that 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 beyond expectation as part of the color service or is there something different that the color service will look like do you have a you know crystal ball kind of look into the what what it's going to look like <gasps> no crystal
0: balls here um, I really feel for uh Salad owners like it's such a tricky conversation because I can see that owners are torn do you know and what's the right thing to do what's the right move to do because uh do you know there's a black market emerging where people are doing illegally doing hair at home because clients are demanding it they're, they're mm. approaching team members and saying will you do my hair I'll pay you lots for it I mean who would have ever thought that uh hair color would have gone into the black market um, gone underground into black market it was in such demand so I think it's crazy you know and there's this um, challenge that owners have to make a decision that they're either going to be part of that or they're going to lose out, do you know? Um, and and having to manage team members that are making different decisions than say maybe uh, owners are making. So um, while you're in lockdown, there's no easy answer. But I think in terms of future-proofing yourself uh, or coming out of that and trying to gain the business back, um, I think there's two things. It's doubling down on... The client care and the client service, and I actually don't think that's more cups of tea and, and three biscuits instead of one. I don't think it. I don't think it's that. Do you know? They can go and get that elsewhere. <laughs> um, I actually think it's about time, attention, and it's actually giving the client that what they want. None of the other fluffy stuff matters, and the only way to do that is uh, outstanding consultations. That actually are about the client, not about the salon or the service or any other objective other than giving her exactly what, sometimes not even what she thinks she wants, what she doesn't even know that she needs. Um, And so I think that's that's the point of difference that are going to hold on to the clients. And you can do that in many business models. You can do that in the short, sharp, fast, in and out, because that might be for some demographic of clients, that's what's important to them. And for some, it's it's the longer service, it's the time out, or I want to come in and work, or I want this big complicated thing. It doesn't matter uh, which model you go for, or which client demographic you go for. What matters is that you're really clear about who your demographic is, and that you are really honed into that and you serve her and you don't try and serve too many different people all at once. Um, and you build your marketing around that, you build your client service delivery around that. Um, yeah, and I think that way you can serve that client and you'll grow a strong brand around that service delivery model. And I think that's, that's uh, I really think that's the only way to go about it really. Yeah, definitely. And
2: I I completely agree. And I I think having worked in the, you know, the colour side of the business for as many years as I have, and so much of what we do is um, help people with the, you know, analysis and consultation to absolutely, to me, there is no better way to have a raving fan client than nailing the analysis and the consultation and absolutely getting it right. And that person then is not only aesthetic with what you've done for them because it's, it's it's from a suitability point of view from a technical point of view you're really on point with your work but then they go and you know tell everyone and not only tell everyone they get stopped and people say to them you know oh my god that color looks amazing on you and that is that as we know word of mouth is is a huge thing and i think that yeah analysis and consultation um, really nailing that and getting it right is just such a huge part of having a successful colour business. And I don't believe there's one right, there's no one right way to do it because yeah. you know someone who's
0: 23 um, and in her first job versus a mum who's 45 and, and working full-time and got three three 3.5 children, they want different things. Mm-hmm. And so you can't say that there's one way to do a consultation. Every client demographic want it differently, depending yeah. on what their needs are and the way that you deliver the service, whether it's fast or it's long, or if it's short or it's long or, it's different for everybody. And so I think that's exciting because it means you'll be different to this salon down the road. You just yeah. need to be super clear on who she is, um, how she wants her consultation, how she wants the outcome, how she wants her service to be um, and do that. And then your then your brand is unique to you unique to that client and you build something that's really strong but i think we make the mistake is when we think what is the right way and we try just to kind of take pieces of everybody's way and when we patch together this way that we think is the right way but i think there isn't a right way it's just the right way for that client yeah definitely and honing in on that yeah
1: i'm going to go a little bit off script here because you've got my, my own thinking but judy and i had a <laughs> conversation Earlier on as well, and that is that if you're very fortunate to still continue having an income at the moment and very little places to spend it, obviously during lockdown, one of the big shifts in my life has been putting money away. You know, I was very frugal, not fr- very frivolous with money, you know, 60 bucks here, 70 bucks there. And then when that all stops, you think, oh, wow, well, I've got this money that's building up. I'm very conscious of where I'm going to spend it. You know, where I've got to eat out, at, you know, the little hole in the wall place. I'll go out somewhere for a nice dinner and I'll because i know i'm going to get that service and i think that's what we have to within our business is making sure that you're gonna you don't mind paying for it if it's if it's a great quality and that's always been the case but we kind of lost a bit of that because you'd just be like oh monday night oh, we're going here we're going to go for a quick indian oh we're going to nip out you know 20 dollars for a glass of wine or whatever it may be that all stops you okay. know and um you will certainly think wow i've got no wonder my accountant used to say to me, You just spend so much money, mate. You know what I mean? Uh, anyway, um,
0: <laughs> back on-, on, the, on the. But on the upside, you know, like when Melbourne opens again, there'll be a whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of money in their pocket oh, waiting 100%. to be transformed. You know, they'll have yeah. grey stripes and they'll have ratty ends uh, and they'll have cash in their pocket. So make the most of it.
1: Which is again a good reason to book out that extra time because you're going to need to. You have got bigger jobs on, right? You know, and, that's, that's...
0: and yeah. And the hard thing is, you know, the pressure of you know, five hundred people want it all in one week. And then how do you how do you choose? Do we go the fast and hard, you know fast and hard route, or do we do the long and slow route? Yes. Uh, it doesn't matter what you decide, as long as you decide one and do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I did hear of salons in the UK going 24 hours when they first came up. Uh, Seemed like fun at all. Um, now, 2020 marks the anniversary or Instagram's 10th birthday, and when I, it's quite scary to think that Instagram wasn't around 11 years ago, and how much it influenced our our industry. Um, I know, as you as you well know, dealing with Kelly and I, um, social media is really I struggle with it. That's why we have people that specialize in it that are a lot younger than I am. Um, but I wanted to bring. To the attention of, of our viewers, that you know, what's the biggest miss or the common mistakes that's made with posting the you know we're always saying well what's the right content you know and you referenced to it earlier on about backs of people's heads, um you know what's the biggest mistake someone's make when they're posting content, and that's a. What
0: uh, do well, you think the biggest, the first biggest mistake is that they're not posting consistently. It's kind of like a five things in a row and then a week goes by with nothing and then there's three things and then there's 12 things and and it's all over the show. I actually think slower, uh, slow it down a little bit, be more consistent because you want to be in people's faces on a regular basis, not just popping up here and there. So first thing is um, being consistent. I think the other thing that blocks us is this fear of showing up uh, to the world. And so instead of showing up and putting our own faces there... Because people like to do business with people that they know, like, and trust. They can't trust the back of a head. First, they don't know who it is. And second, it's not you. It's just the back of someone's head. Do you know who loves the backs of heads? Do you know who looks at them the most? Yeah. Other stylists.
2: I love to look
0: at the technique and all the look and look, oh, it's beautiful. Actually, clients don't really give a damn about the back of their head. They don't see the back of their own head. They see the front and they see happy, smiling faces. And so uh, when you're scrolling, people will actually be attracted directly to eye contact. And that's what they'll stop and look at first is someone that's looking directly into the camera. So you actually want your clients looking directly into the camera so you catch the eye contact and then they'll look around at the rest and then they'll read the caption. So backs of the head to scroll on past unless you're a stylist, you'll have a look at it. So uh, we want to see people. um, And as much as we want to see happy, smiling clients, which is social proof, we also want to see inside the business. Who are those team members that are going to be stuck in there for two hours? What are their areas of expertise? Can I trust them? I think... The style of like the end result certainly gives the the trust a tick but they want to know that the stylist or the employee or whoever is an expert in that whatever it is and i do think having a clear expertise whether it's a brand expertise like we specialize in something or whether it's individuals inside the business that have something that they stand out for and are experts at is a great way of not just being a scroll past type of business but a scroll stopping business because you know like if you've got a if if you want to have plastic surgery i don't know why this is a good example but you don't go to the local doctor who does all of the things you go to a specialist if you want to do your kitchen you don't go to a bathroom guy you go to the kitchen guy and so um you've got to have something that makes you stand out from everybody else so first is something that's scroll stopping and second some reason that i'll come to you over somebody else um and a good area of expertise uh and being clear, clearly, clearly um, expressing that in your social media, I think is is a good idea. Um, the only other one, what I would say is that we we too often, I think, we still make it about ourselves. We talk about ourselves from our point of view, and actually, our clients, excuse my French, don't give a shit about us. Actually, they want to know that we're nice, and that they'll, yeah. and that we've got the expertise to make them look nice. But that's actually. They actually care about themselves first, not because they're selfish or like that. It's a nasty, you know, a bad thing. But actually, when you look terrible, or you've got grey roots, or your skin's bad, or whatever, you're thinking about how can this person help me look the best that I can be. So you're they're actually thinking about themselves first. And so I think we need to flip the script to be less about we are experts, we are we did this, we won an award, and we 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 all over ourselves. I think we need to flip it and make it about you what do you want when you have this problem then we can come in and fix it so we need to connect with the client like I always say when when your client wakes up in the morning and she walks into the bathroom like what's the first thing we do we go into the bathroom go to the loo look in the mirror what does she say oh god look she's picking herself to pieces that's the conversation that you want to get that's the conversation you want to join on the social media Like, what are the problems that she's really facing? What are the things that she's challenged with? She can't do a fringe. She can't get the flick like, you know, like the model or whatever it is that she's challenged with. If we meet the client there and then show our expertise that we're the one to fix that, then I think we're on a different level of conversation and we're not just the scroll stopping socials.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I agree with you in the back of the head thing as well. It's, <laughs> you know, and it's it's also like this. even this week, instead of saying we've got an appointments available at one o'clock, it's like we've changed the messaging. It's like, do you need your blonde to be refreshed? We can do it at one. Do you know what I mean? Just, yeah, oh, yeah, me. yeah. Yes. I mean, no, yeah. like, otherwise it's just an appointment at one, right? And it's like, oh, is it for a blow dry? Is it for a cut? And it's like, no, exactly. actually, for no blonde And they said they can do it. So that's good. Yeah.
0: Oh, and then, oh, yeah, it's one o'clock. I can do one. Or I can't do one, but I'll message and see if they've got something else. Yeah. Make it about them first, 100%. I love that. Solving problems. Yeah. And then I guess don't also remember to actually ask. Like in that example, you said, you know, and we can do it at one o'clock. Make it super easy for them to do business with you. Too often I see um, message us or, hey, we've got an appointment at one o'clock, the end of the sentence. Oh like, well, how 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 do I make this appointment? Where's the link? Uh, and if people have to scroll and find you and find how to find your phone number, or or typing in the phone number doesn't work, you can't click on it. So now they have to. If you think about from the user's point of view, from your client's point of view, they got eight three seven. Okay, find the phone eight three seven. Back to the post uh, seven three nine. back to the thing, seven. They give up halfway through. They're not going to actually make the appointment. So we need to make it super easy, like one click action. Give them the booking link. Give you a messenger link, um, make it super easy to do business with you. Yeah. I could talk about that all day. <laughs> I love it. Sorry. So
2: So um, you, you mentioned about um, salons coming out of lockdown in Melbourne and, um, you know, choosing a particular path, whether it's, you know, sort of, you know, slow or fast. Um, is there any other advice that you'd give to Melbourne salons who are sort of looking at coming back? into the salon or is there anything they could do to prepare for that now yeah um, i actually have i actually in
0: first lockdown created a whole uh hub of uh there's probably 20 little masterclasses in there on exactly how to do that scripts to call your clients um posts that you can put on social media how to manage your appointment book is completely free Um, it's still sitting on my website if you want to have access to that and that there's uh, a heap ton of content in there to just give you step by step because I thought honestly like it's the it's the trickiest thing to need to navigate Um, yeah copy and paste and do it this way but there's several ways to do it so I think you either go with um, the full service and take the slower time or uh, do the partial service where you might just get rid of the T zone and uh, and around the edges and see as many people as you can and book them second time around for the whole quick service if you don't want to you know let people down. The other thing to think about is your A clients first. Your A clients that are uh, always rebook, they always have color, their home care, you know, clients. Those are the most important clients and you want to probably contact them first and get them in pro- top priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know as mean as it sounds but you know commercially it makes sense then you be clients and then you'll see clients <laughs> yeah
2: so uh, Larissa what can you do today that you couldn't do a year ago what can I do today
0: that I couldn't do a year ago okay here's a good one uh regularly show up on in an Instagram story <laughs> <laughs> do you know when you talk about uh the fear of showing up and uh being present you know one of the reasons four and a half years ago that i started the podcast was that i didn't have to show up on camera and i could just be behind the scene on a podcast and it's been you know i understand this journey because it's been my own journey um of you know having to be publicly visible and letting go of the fear of of judgment and all of that type of stuff and uh so i think in the last 12 months um being able to just Comfortably and confidently show up publicly and let go of the fear of that. Um,
2: yeah, I think that's what I've done in the last year. Good on you. That's great. That's a good one. And we all have we all have that. I mean, here we are, kind of. You know, Amen to that. Yeah, sure. you know, we've all got our insecurities about how we look, how we listening to ourselves again. Um, but but we're all coming from from a place of trying to be helpful, and I think that has to override everything exactly Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, amen to that now we've come to the final four which is what we ask all of our guests that come on the show so they kind of just um you can go into as little or as much detail as you want It's just four basic questions and uh the first one is where's your favorite place on earth um that you've ever been to
0: well i got two uh fiji is number one i love and adore fiji um, and I think I love it once a tropical island, but I've been to a lot of tropical islands and spent a lot of time at various different ones. Fiji is my favorite because the people are just born and bred to serve with love and kindness. They're so nice. Like they'll pick up when we used to take the kids there when we were, when they were young, they'd pick up the baby and just they'd be off with the baby and we'd we're, and we're kind of like, oh, um, anyone seen our baby? <laughs> but we could sit and have breakfast or a glass of wine or whatever and a little bit of peace. We're just so kind. Uh, and Venice is the other one just because it's such a special, unique, different place. Um, I would absolutely adore to go back there. Maybe not right now, but um, in the future. Um, yeah, so those are my two faves.
1: Yeah, fantastic. And where would you most like to visit next on your bucket list?
0: African Safari, for sure. I'd love to go on an African safari, um, you know, just hanging up with elephants and lions. And I want to go to one of those zoo hotels that, you know, you're in your room and there's a big glass and through that you can see all the zoo animals. I think that would be pretty cool.
1: Yeah. We've got <laughs> one of our guests is on from South Africa, Chase Meek. And he said, um, I went to, I um, can't think of the place. It's, it's in out of Johannesburg and it's like a safari thing. You stay in the in the tents. Kind of scary. Yeah. You rubber, yeah you know, <laughs> all that stuff. Uh, what are you most grateful for in your life so far
0: uh, i think two things first making the decision to join this industry when i was um 16 i was either going to go to uh teachers college um or join hairdressing i'm so glad i joined hairdressing uh i think it's such a diverse interesting colorful dynamic industry so i'm super grateful of making that choice uh, and then the other one was actually my mum teaching me that uh, girls can do anything and uh, all you need to do is to just do it and work it out as you go she was a single mom and she could fix cars fix broken windows it never crossed and i had two it was me and my sister and my mum, and so it never crossed my mind that uh do you know, that there was any gender difference, you just got on and did the things that you needed to do. And I'm so grateful for that uh, lesson. Thanks, Mom. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's a good one, isn't it, Jude? We love that. Sure is. Jude, love we, it. we spoke about that last week. When things, when they have to sit, fend for themselves, it's called resilience. You know, in fact, yeah. it was raised at the breakfast table in our house this morning. You know, you'll learn to do this because you never in life do you need to be relying on anyone to do it for you. You know, yeah. um, I think that's, um, and also on the teacher's college thing, I'm going to be very honest with you. Kelly rings me the night before we have our meeting with you and we're like, shit, have we done our homework? So yeah, <laughs> it's definitely. <laughs>
0: Maybe it was in my blood the whole time.
1: <laughs> we, we, we it. What, are we, is it tomorrow? Have we done it? <laughs> but no, it's, uh, it is, it is fabulous. Um, now I know that you are, have an amazing podcast, um, and some incredible guests, um, uh, on your on your website, which is always fantastic and um, which we love listening to. What podcast do you love listening to? Do you have any go-to, like I listened to someone the other day and they said, my time for podcasts is when I'm walking the dog. Who do you listen to?
0: Okay, so uh, podcasts, yeah, changed my life really when I found them and discovered them, became addicted to them. Probably the one I go back to the most is a guy called James Widmore. He's kind of a digital marketing guy. Um, he certainly has helped me. Uh, get the seller owners collective off the ground but the reason I like him is he's part business strategy and he's part mindset and I think the two go hand in hand and if ever business is not going what's going well it's because your mindset is out of alignment and you need a bit of a sift kick up the bum so I, I go to him often um, but I think that the other important thing to say too is like I'm off actually not listening to any podcasts right now because I too have joined a coach And uh, I've made the decision to just follow that for the period of time that I'm doing that. I'm just following that because it's several times in my life and I see this happen uh, too to even the people that I work with is that we can get so much advice from all sorts of different places and we start to piece them all together and it just becomes a mishmash and we think we need to do a bit of that and then we go with that. And so it's all this disjointed strategy. And um, so I'm off the podcast right now and I'm following... my coach and I'm doing what my coach says and I'm following the one strategy and I think that's a godsend because uh, it's easy to get overwhelmed it's easy to get confused with all the different things there's so much free content out there and I'm I'm a fan of it because it got me to where I am but there are times when you just have to stop stop listening to anybody and just get shit done so (laughs) so it's either binge on all of the content that's available stop and get shit done Binge on all of the content, stop, get shit done. Or you, if you're paying for advice, let everything else go, do what needs to be done until you get the results. And then you can always go back for more information elsewhere. Because otherwise, there's just there's too much sometimes.
1: There's the golden nugget right there. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're doing a very similar thing. We're having a news break, aren't we, Jude? No, no news, pretty, pretty yeah.
0: news. Yeah. 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 100%. Night-
1: It's time to clear the mind, wash the mind. And yeah, I I couldn't have paid you to say that better. That was exactly where the page we're on. Larissa, it's been fabulous.
0: And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you got lots out of uh, my chat with the crew at Muck. All right, don't forget to join my free Salon Success Facebook group if you are not already. Uh, come and join this awesome community of salon and spa owners just like you. That's right, you no longer need to feel alone in business ownership. Certainly something that I felt for a long time. So don't stay there any longer. Come and hang out with us. I'm going to leave the link in the show notes below. Uh, otherwise, I look forward to tuning in again with you the same time, same place next week. Ciao for now.